Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran, and we're the co-founders and co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions. Uh, also, Stephen Slate is also the other co-author. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> hi, Stephen. If you're out there somewhere (laughs) and hi to all of our fans. We're so happy to have you listening to the podcast. And today what we want to talk about is there is this group of people and look at there's nearly everyone and nearly everyone believes that once a pickle, never a cucumber again, which is true for cucumbers, (laughs) but not true for people. You know, there's this idea that once somebody um, has an, an addiction to a substance, whether that's alcohol or opiates or benzos or whatever it is, that they need to avoid all substances from that point forward. And this is specifically talked about with alcohol. Yeah. Um, to mindlessly avoid it, right. Yep. To just, to just put it Scare out of your yourself mind. into abstinence. I mean, I've had people who've been to multiple treatment program programs who've tried AA for 20 years or more come to me and say, you have to tell me that I can't drink. I don't think I want to do the freedom model because you talk about moderation. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. Haven't you been told that in every program you've done? Right. And aren't you told that in AA meetings that you're somebody who can't drink, that it's that if one drink is one drunk for you 
And, and so what we're going to talk about today is why it's so important to know all three of your options and to look at all of them and, and to really, because, because people will mindlessly go to, I can't drink. Therefore I have to abstain. Therefore I have to abstain. I can't drink like other people. I can't drink moderately. It's not true. It's a lie. And the only purpose of it is to scare yourself into being abstinent, which doesn't work because why? Because you haven't challenged the benefits. Because you, you still really like it. Yeah, you you haven't challenged why you like it. It's a really interesting thing. So I get guests here at the retreat, and all of a sudden they'll say, um, like Michelle said, I you know I need to stop. I need to. I just, need to. It's killing me. Yeah, I, I just need to stop, or I should really. Stop. And that's a that's a scary place to be when your health is at risk. Yeah. You know, you know, we, we see this even with people with smokers who get COPD. They're like, I, I, I have to stop. And they, and they set a date and they set a date and they set a date and they don't do it because they never look at the thing that gets ignored is, um, first of all, what your preference, why what, do you like it? Yeah. What your preference is built on and why do you like it? And it's an interesting thing to go from being really frightened about drinking again, to being forced into abstinence in some way. Sometimes we force ourselves. Right. We call that white knuckling it. And we've all done this where um, we mindlessly stop. We say, I got to stop. And we stop out of panic. And then we're constantly pining away in our mind to get fucked up. And yeah. so it's a, it's a Every really, day it's a battle. Yeah. And so it's framed as that battle. And, uh, and, and it's a depressing way to do it. And plus it fails in the end because our positive drive is going to find a way to go back to our preference. So, so a preference is built on thoughts, beliefs, mm -hmm. ideas about your relationship with alcohol or drugs. Right. So, so if you have a preference that you've built, your behavior tells whether that's true or not. Now, your behavior is if you drink a case of beer, it, it tells you that you really do. That you really like it. Yeah, you prefer in heavy intoxication. And that's based on something. Yes. And that something gets ignored. In every treatment modality, that something gets completely, totally ignored. As a matter of fact, you're trained not to think about it. Right. You're trained to think about the circumstance or the consequences and costs and trade-offs and all the pain, but you are not trained to look at why you built this preference, why you see it as a positive experience in your life and why you choose it. Right. So you mindlessly sort of try desperately to ignore this preference that you've built over 20 years. And you're going to fail at that because the preference remains unchecked. It's like I always talk about the disco ball. It's a bright object in your mind. If you don't make that sucker dull or you don't see it for what it actually is, that it's really not all that shiny, well, it's going to remain a shiny object in your mind and you'll keep going back to it. But let's get back to the, to the moderation question. So we opened the book with the topic of moderation and the line that I wrote is that anybody, no matter how serious their uh, drug or drinking habit is, can moderate successfully. Now, that doesn't mean you should. No. Nope. The reason I opened the book that way, or we did, we agreed to is because it signifies the amount of fear you have towards uh, alcohol and drugs, how much power you've placed in that. Right. So if you sit there and you read that line, you go, I, I can't, I can't, 
I can't moderate Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't believe they opened the book this way. If, if that's your reaction, boy, do you have one hell of a preference for heavy intoxication. And a belief system about addiction. Yeah. You know, being, being this, even if you, cause there's, we, we have a lot of readers that, that say, I don't believe addiction is a disease, but still that scares them. The idea that they could possibly moderate their substance use, you know, strikes dread and fear in them like, no, no, no. Well, then you still have a belief system and in the disease of addiction. That's right. It's just in different clothes. That's all. It's still a loss of control or what we call compelled use. So if you feel like there's a force that's compelling you, then moderation becomes something that you you can't even dabble with because you'll descend right back into right. this painful preference. But here's what's interesting. We take it out of the realm of that mythology because there is no force. And we go right to, well, why did you build the preference? Now, how many times have you actually sat down mindfully and said to yourself, I'm going to write down all the reasons why I like it so much. And then I'm going to challenge every one of those. Nobody does that. Now, except for people that do the freedom model, <laughs> except for people that do the freedom model, which is what we teach them. But a lot of people out there end up doing that out of a default position because they get over their problem. They just don't do it as mindfully as we might. So they're sitting on their couch one day and they say, you know what? This ain't working for me. And it may not be a very deep thought, but they just accept it as the reality of what's happening to them. And they move on to something new. And they change their life. They have children and they, they maybe focus more on that. And suddenly they move on. Now, we know that many people do that. That is the freedom model. Yeah. They, they have checked their preference. They just didn't do it in a formal way. It became, it was an organic evolution. So this happens with people with drinkers all the time. And we all know somebody who was that drop dead drunk, Uncle Jack. And then Jack just one day said, I'm done. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. He's not a jerk about it. He just said, ah, I was done. And you probably know people, even though, it, see, with alcohol, it's more out in the open because it's legal. But you probably have somebody in your life right now that you don't know that once had a heroin problem. That's right. Or, uh, there are so many cocaine users. Yes. And, yes. and th that's one that has a very short tenure in people's lives and, and they stop it. So they're, it's so, so changing a preference is a very natural thing. Here's the thing about the hardcore drinkers and the hardcore users. Um, but the drinking is, is just such a, such a um, profoundly predictable thing with these people. And that is they will do just about anything to not mindfully challenge the benefits of their drinking because they've been taught to ignore them. Yes. They've been taught to feel shameful about their, their drinking habit. So they hide it. They, they, if somebody, I had a student just two weeks ago, this was very profound to her. She said, uh, I said, well, you're, you're drinking. You, you really do like doing this. And she said, well, it's hurting my children. I said, I know that, but that irrespective of that, you really do like it. So she goes, so do I put it on the same hierarchy as my kids? And I said, I don't think there's a one-to-one -one cor correspondence no. correlation with that or causation. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're thinking that. I don't think you're thinking I'm going to drink against my kids. Right. I think that you just have a preference over here that you don't check and say, am I getting out of this? What I think I'm getting out of it. Yeah. You almost, you almost have to, cause, cause that's a, that's a shame thing that that's a, that's a little uh, piece of shame that 
is heaped on people sometimes. Oh, you're oh, yeah. choosing that over your kids. You're choosing that over your marriage. No, no, you almost have to set that aside if you're going to really look at the benefits first, because ultimately you want both. Okay. That's it. You know, you, you really like this. And of course you love your children. You're just doing both simultaneously and there's only so many hours in the day. Right. And, and there are these high costs associated with this, with this activity. And, and does it, is it still giving you the benefits that you want? Um, is it keeping you from getting the benefits that you want over here? You know, so you, so you kind of have to weigh it out, but you set aside this other stuff for now because it's, it's not helpful to, to get that false dichotomy. Yeah. To, to get into the guilt game. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's say that you were a corporate woman who spent, uh, 12 hours a day working and you only got to put your bed, your kids to bed at night, five days a week. And then you were working most of Saturday, but you were working for a not-for-profit that, uh, fed the elderly. Um, would we have the same shaming? Right. Uh, well, say, in some mommy groups we would. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But, but would we, would universally, would we sit right. around and say, it wouldn't be the same. she chooses her job over her children. Now, some, some people might do that. But the reality is the more virtuous in the public's eye that the job is, the less shaming would happen. It it just so happens that when it comes to drinking, nobody agrees with the, the career with you've the chosen. activity. Right. right. Yeah. If drinking is your career, right, you do it like a job and you're uh, you're good yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, people say automatically equate it with you're just a shitty person and a shitty mom and you, you know, so they make that correlation. So Which we need not to necessarily the truth, quite frankly. That's right. You just want to do both. And, and it's just not helpful for the problem solving point. No, I'm not saying it's good to drink with children. That's not the point. The point is to get us to a place where we can look at it objectively and, and look at it clearly and challenge the benefits. We have to be able to say loud and proud what we what it is that we really believe about alcohol. So I had a student here uh, today do an exercise where we wrote down all the reasons. And one of the reasons that he drinks is he, at the end of the day, he likes to take the cape off. In other words, he's, he's a big CEO sort of character, executive, high level, very stressful job, takes the cape off, wants to take the edge off, and then drinks. And then he said, then we talked about the fact that he drinks on every business flight, which there's been thousands. And then he drinks watching football and then he drinks to focus. Then he drinks to relax. Hmm. Then he drinks every time he's alone. Now he has a two faceted way of drinking. One is the, based on these ideas that alcohol benefits him in all these all ways. All these magical ways. Right. Now we know that alcohol can't do that. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, you have to watch all the previous podcasts and you'll understand it or read our book or read whatever. chapter 17 through 20. Yeah. Um, so we, we got to the point to where we could challenge those ideas that alcohol pharmacologically is magical. It's not. So he gets that. Then he said, geez, I get that, but yet I still drink. Now I said, have you ever mindfully gotten on the plane and said to yourself, I think I'm not going to drink today to see if it's better on the plane. Have you ever had that thought? And he goes, no, I don't, think <laughs> it, I don't think I've ever ever even thought that I, yeah, they it's never occurred to me that I wouldn't drink when I got on a plane. Exactly. He goes, Oh, this is that chapter on learned connections. I've connected it to everything. I said, look at your list again. You've connected it to relaxing and having better focus 
on big projects. It can't be both. Right. But you can be both. So it's all you. You're giving alcohol credit for all the stuff that it, you think it's doing. So you've just connected it mindlessly. Like you just took it for granted from the Anheuser-Busch commercial that it's magical. I mean, they've done a massively amazing job of teaching you that there's fantasy in drinking. Right. That it has the capability of making your life so much better, makes everything brighter, more vibrant, more focused, more relaxed, better. The football game is better. The NASCAR race is better. Being alone is even better. So he hides his drinking now and has it as a coveted ritual. And he goes, my God, I do. I connect it to everything. And I said, now, if you mindfully decide not to connect it to things and try to discover whether you can take that pocket of time and make it more productive, better, more relaxing, more focused, take the cape off and just relax, learn to do all that. Are you willing to give yourself the chance to try long enough to get results and then gauge it against the drinking benefit, perceived benefit, the bullshit benefit? And he goes, I am willing to do that. So we built a, a plan of exactly how to do that. And uh, he took a picture of the plan on the whiteboard. Now he's building his plan. And then we're going to have class here in a little while and go over that plan. So every time he thinks that learned connection. Right. Right. Every time he gets on the plane, he can mindfully say, I'm going to check the benefit here. Is the flight going to be better without it or with it? And when you make a direct benefit to benefit analysis and you run the experiment, and I said, but please understand, you have to give the sobriety side a fair shake. You've given 20 years to your bullshit. Okay. The perceived benefits you have invested in heavily to the point of near destruction of your entire life. That's heavy duty dedication to the lie, to the mythology. You have to be giving the same sort of dedication over here to the other side of the ledger if you want to give it a fair shake and make an adequate benefits to benefits comparison. So so we started this talking about looking at all three options and giving each option a fair shake. So so here's the thing. So if you're somebody maybe you've just found the podcast, maybe you just got the book and and the the first part of it, the um, you know, the very first line in the book is anyone can moderate. If that scares you, what Mark has just done, he's just taken you through this whole lesson on why we have to tell you the truth. Number one, that anyone can moderate. And number two, why you have to give each option a fair shake. And that includes the abstinence option. I want to see what abstinence is like. Can I be happier abstinent? Um, but I also want to see what it is, what are the benefits of intoxication? What are the benefits of doing exactly what I'm doing now? What am I getting from it? So that I can challenge those things. That's what's important. That is what's important because here's the thing. You can choose abstinent abstinence out of fear. You can do that. Many people do. I mean, you know, there are people that I know that spend 20 years abstinent out of fear. Now, eventually they typically go back to their substance of choice and they go back to using it heavily again because they never challenged those benefits. Right. The disco ball was nice and bright in their mind. They just stuffed it on a shelf for a little while. And in the 20 years that they were abstinent, there were times that they pined away for it, that it wasn't, that their life wasn't as happy as it could be. Now, most people don't get that 20 years. Most people go three months. Yeah. A week. Six months, a week. Four days, right? Just 
just white knuckling it the whole time. It's a horrible way to go through it. Horrible. So what we're proposing in the freedom model is that you choose, if you choose abstinence, you choose it because you want it. That's it. Because you genuinely want it because, you know, being intoxicated isn't that great anymore. It's not what you thought it was. It's gotten boring. We want you to choose it the same reason that all of these people, millions and millions and millions of people spontaneously change their lives. That's exactly right. So, so it's impossible to move on and evolve to moderation or abstinence and do it consistently and freely and without fear unless you check and challenge the benefits of your heavy use option. Because if, if, if you don't challenge those benefits, the, the weight will always be on the side of heavy use. Right. The, the only reason heavy use is such a profound habit with you is because you value it for personal reasons and the benefits those reasons provide. So, so you can't skip the step of mindfully challenging the benefits of the magic, the supposed magic that alcohol and drugs are supposed to provide you. If, if you don't do that part, when you go to moderation, you'll slip right back into heavy use because the preference is built on the bullshit you're telling yourself. That's it. So, so <laughs> Everybody wants to skip that. Everybody that every student, everybody wants to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not disease. I, yeah, I, I get all that. I'm going to moderate. And then, and then they drink themselves into a wicked vendor and they're like, I can't moderate. See, I'm I'm one of those people. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) That's not true. You didn't want to moderate because you left the preference for heavy use unchecked. You mindlessly moderated. You didn't mindfully check your preference for heavy substance use first, realize that 90% of it is nonsense, and then say, devalue alcohol to the point where it's basically meaningless, then find a novelty in drinking in moderate use, right? Yeah. Because you've now devalued this whole heavy drinking experience and the whole drinking experience has been put in its proper place scientifically gotten rid of perceived benefits and saw that it has very few actual benefits first, then you can go moderate. Then you'll want to moderate. Then it'll be easy to moderate easy and easy to abstain. I'm not, they have equal weight. You can choose, but either, either choice should be made without fear, without white knuckling, without a preference for having you sitting right here on a shelf waiting to be pulled out at any, any connection that you've made to it. So, so, (laughs) the linchpin of this is do not skip challenging the perceived benefits of heavy use and mindfully, really mindfully measuring how much do I still really like this? Is it doing for me what I think it it, it should be doing? And I mean, when we talk about it can be easy, it really can be easy. It becomes once you know the truth within yourself, and what the objective truth is about substances, it becomes, I don't do anything to maintain a recovery. Right. I, and I used to be a fall down, complete loser drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. So, so there's a, there's another part of this. So if you're someone who has now has, has gone down that treatment road, right. And so you're, 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 you're you believe as if I'm somebody that can't moderate 
and you've also gotten the mental health diagnosis, which really now means that I can't moderate. That's bullshit too. Okay. Because the choice to use substances, we disconnected in the book. It's important to disconnect it. There are a whole lot of people with whatever mental health diagnosis you have that don't use don't, that don't drink heavily, that don't use drugs heavily, that never have had a substance use problem. So do it's a mistake to connect because that's it's reverse engineering now. That's what's happening. A lot of people will go to treatment and they'll go to AA and they're not getting better. They're not changing, right? They're they still maybe their substance use has gotten worse. And now treatment and counselors and addiction people pile on mental health diagnoses to kind of justify why it's not working for you. When the reason it's not working for you is because it's wrong. Okay. It's because you have the wrong information. It's not because you're bipolar or you have trauma or you have all of these things that are now all of a sudden being diagnosed. It's not because of that. It's because you left your preference for intoxication, for the substance for the way you use the substance, you left it fully intact. It's something you love to do for very specific personal reasons. And so if you don't address those reasons, it's never going to change. That's right. So, so, and, and in some cases, uh, we're going to go in a direction here. That's a little different. Also one of the, it's not a benefit, but it's something that people leave unchecked as, as the student did. And that is pure mindless habit. Yes. They've connected it to all these activities out of pure habit. Yeah. And this is what I do when I feel this way. Yeah. This I, is what I do when I'm doing this other activity. Th this particular student was astounded when, when I, when we left the class, I gave him assignment and he came back and he goes, I have never, never asked myself, why am, why am I doing this? I always assumed that if I get on a plane, I drink. If I come home, I take the edge off. If I watch NASCAR, I drink. That's what I do. And and I said, so where did that start? You know, where did that kind of, he goes, you know, started when I was 15. It just incrementally became something that I believed. And I said, but where do you think that thought came from? You know, I, I you don't come from a big family history. Sometimes you learn it from siblings mm -hmm. and parents, yeah. right? Because they have the habits and, and you watch and learn. And I said, you don't have that. And he goes, he goes, you know, it started in high school. And I guess it's just the passive constant ads. I said, that's exactly right. He goes, happy hour, corporate culture. Yep. He watched everybody, saw what was acceptable. And he goes, my God, I was in this one company where that's all we did was drink. Yep. And we were very successful, sort of wolf on Wall Street kind of thing. And he goes, we, we went, we went crazy, you know, for 10 years and it just built this, this idea that I needed to connect it to everything for everything to be brighter and more successful. And he goes, the irony is it's killing me. Yeah. And I said, that's why we need to check whether it's real, whether the benefits are actually happening. I think that the benefits are bullshit based on, <laughs> you know, the booze companies, they make billions of dollars based on fantasy. They're selling a fantasy. It's not true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of for some reason the Spuds McKenzie ads jumped into oh my, my head. <laughs> a dog, <laughs> a dog that's partying, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fantasy. It's and so we we take it on and we don't realize how much influence these sort of cultural icons have. 
And once we connect it to other activities and we connect it with a myth that it does relieve stress or it does make the room brighter or it does give me a voice or it does do, do all these things, well, boy, have you just built one hell of a powerful religion in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all based on faith. It's yeah, not true. Yeah. And it's the same thing happens if you have built a habit where if I have one drink, I have 10 drinks. Well, and you just do that mindlessly. You go from one drink to the next. This is what I do um, when I'm drinking. Um, well, then, you know, if you mindlessly do these things, you're going to keep doing them if you don't challenge why you're doing them. If you don't look at exactly why am I doing this? And and nobody's ever out of control. You're you are never out of control. It's it's the it's totally unreal. So not only are you Build, you built this preference based on a fantasy of what you believe about the substance and what it could do for you. But there's this whole other fantasy and mythology surrounding if I have one hit, then I have to have two, and then I have to have three, and that I'm that I'm out of control from my very first drink that I take. Yeah, drink or hit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point too. And and I mean, we're hitting a lot of different topics here, but but these are the things that we're dealing with with our students here at the retreat and and in FMPI and all over the world really um and these are the questions we're getting so here's the deal if you are afraid of moderation or it makes you uncomfortable that just means that your preference is and the mythology your your adherence in your mind to the mythology is is there. It's, it's strong. It's strong. Mm -hmm. So don't try to moderate because it's going to fail. You're going to fail because you don't really want to moderate because you have all the benefits of heavy use still intact in your and mind. And you have the belief system that you're out of control in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So you can't moderate if you believe that you can't. Right. Right. You can moderate as soon as you have challenged all those uh, myths uh, and the benefits the, the myths about the benefits and you challenge them and you go, Oh, alcohol can't really do that. I guess it really is just a novelty to me. Um, now there's an aspect to drinking that makes it the people, people ask me all the time. Well, we have all these preferences for all kinds of things. Sometimes we have preferences for a career relationships, a type of woman, a type of guy, all, all kinds of things. Why is it that alcohol is the one that has stayed in my life? I've changed my preferences on a whole number of things with ease. Why with the alcohol do I, do I hang on to it? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One reason is it has an active placebo that is inside of your body. Mm. So that's different than if you have a preference for, let's say, going for car rides. There's a visceral sensation a little bit, but it's really external to you. And the car isn't climbing inside you, hitting your neural functioning and actually having a chemical reaction. Okay. That you can sense physically. And so what, what the booze companies have been so profoundly good at is matching the sensation physically, the feeling dreamy and sort of dizzy or with cocaine feeling sped up, whatever it might be to it being a medicinal mental medicinal agent. Right. So it relaxes me. It takes my stress away and all these fantastical things. So they've matched up the physical sensation with this interpretation that, that they've been masterful in selling you. And, and so that's the angle that makes this last longer in people because it's tricky. It it's is. tricky. It when is. you start to believe that shit, it's tricky. Placebo effect is very powerful. And it's an active placebo. Yeah. So, so 
it's just important to understand. And if you read the book, you will, that you're the one that's doing it. So if you, if you associate going home at the end of the day and having a drink and relaxing, um, and that's something you enjoy doing, then, you know, yeah, you probably have the sensation of relaxing when you have a drink in your hand and you're even probably before you take your first sip, you are doing that because you're doing something you enjoy doing. It could be anything. And, but what Mark's saying is because you feel a little tickle when you have, you know, after you have your second drink or whatever it is for you, it makes it that much more believable. It does. It does. You match it. Your interpretation becomes stress relief. Yeah. It becomes focus. And this person, I get to k- take the cape off and, and, or I get to be alone and not give a shit about people. I get to, I get to, I get to, I get to, you know? And so, so once you, once you've interpreted that sort of active placebo f- effect in your meat tissue as, as some sort of interpretation of these magical things, that's a powerful mythology. It is. And what's interesting about it is it's so powerful. That belief system is so powerful that when we experience the opposite, we still have that belief. Like it doesn't convince us. Like there have been plenty of times when I was drunk, you know, in my history where I didn't feel relaxed at all. And I, I got in a fight with my boyfriend and there you was violence. Violent, right. You became violent. Yeah. So there was no relaxation there at all. Um, and then, and, the next and then night, I blamed alcohol for that too. Right. So you're, so what you're, <laughs> so what you're saying is that there were times where you would blame alcohol for becoming violent. That yes. It, that it made you violent. Yes. And then the next day it made you relaxed and took the and edge off. And fun. Right. And flirty and And, and sexual. So right. now we've hit, we've hit good moods, sexual, flirty, yes. violent. How can one drug do I all can't that? can't do it all. That's an interpretation yes. of the active placebo in your body. So your interpretation of the physical buzz the physical buzz. So yes, alcohol and drugs affect the physical body, but they do not cause you to think in some way. Right. They don't change your mind. They don't change your interpretations. Those are for you to change and create. And unfortunately you've been creating a lot of magic that doesn't exist. Right. And so I can tell you after spending 20 full years abstinent, and then the last you know, 12 years or so, I'm, I'm, I drink occasionally and it's a lot of fun, but for the most part, I'm, I'm abstinent. And, um, I can do all, all of those things that I thought alcohol did for me. I do. I've always done them. You're doing them. And, and so to go back backwards, well, back from where we started, it's important to consider all of your options when you're trying to change your preference for intoxication, your preference for the substance. Um, and, and so, yes, we want you to weigh your options, including moderate use, changing your use. And in chapter 21, we have a whole list. Moderation means different things to different people. You know, there's not one definition of it. And so in chapter 21, we list a whole bunch of, I mean, there's infinite options. And, and so when you're considering, you know, not abstaining forever, maybe what you you're considering is I'm going to abstain for, you know, maybe I'm going to abstain for a year and really give it a good chance and see, prove to myself that I don't need it for any reason, take it off the pedestal it's on. Um, or if I'm moderating, if I decide I want to test that option, cause I've really debunked everything. And I know that I'm not out of control. Then I, you know, I'll, I'll have a couple drinks or maybe I'll smoke marijuana instead of using heroin or whatever it is and see what the benefits are of that. 
That's right. So we're not saying that just because we say moderation is possible doesn't mean that's what we think you should do. No, we're saying it because if you have fear about it yeah, or, that, or you're mindlessly attracted to it, what we want to say is that just means you have a lot of work to do before you make any decisions. Yes, that's exactly okay? You have right. a lot of work to do before you make any firm decision. So, and the work is challenging the benefits. That's the first stage. If you don't challenge your preference for heavy use to see if it's if it's actually worth what you're paying um then yeah, you're just going to always struggle. you're never going to moderate you're going to always go because you want bounce back forth probably between abstinence and heavy use and um and that that's that's just a that's just you're stuck you're yep. still stuck in that trap that's right and it's unnecessary totally so, so please read the entire book before you make any decision Yes. I, I want you to hear and what I just said. Don't be scared away because we talk about moderation. Yeah. There's no reason to be scared away. So if you want our book, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, okay, I want I want to I want to read the book now. I want to listen to an, an audiobook, you can go to our website, thefreedommodel.org. You can actually get a digital version of the book for free by entering coupon code freedom 100 at checkout. Or you can buy the audiobook. Um, it's very inexpensive. You can get uh, the audiobook is available on Audible. Um, the paperbacks are available through Amazon, or I it, I think the audiobooks on iTunes, and and you can get the book through iBooks. I mean, pretty much any online real retailer, you can get our book. It's called the Freedom Model for Addictions. So just search for it in Amazon um, or go to our website. Yeah. And if you want to know about any of the other options at each end of this podcast are commercials that describe the retreat and our membership as well. Yes. All right. So thank you everyone for listening. And if you know somebody that can benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And and give us a five-star rating. Yes. It, hel it helps people. It sure does. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.